have an announcement to make to y'all, to the people of America. The mothership has landed. It's the classic guitar rock podcast. Doctor, I think I'll return to my station now. You are at your station, Mr. Smart. Dr. McCoy, I believe you're enjoying all this. Indeed, Captain. I've never seen him look so happy. Shut up. Well, opinions? I think we're in a lot of trouble. That's a great help, Mr. Checkup Bones. Well, I think Mr. Checkup's right. We are in a lot of trouble. Spock, and if you say we're in a lot of trouble... We are. Now you'll find yourself back among us illogical humans again. Which I find eminently satisfactory, Doctor. For nowhere am I so desperately needed as among a shipload of illogical humans. Touche, Bones. I find your arguments strewn with gaping defects in logic. These are the voyages of the classic guitar rock podcast. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. You're ready to move us. Before we start, I'd like to say something. There's no reason why you shouldn't have complete confidence in your chances to come out of this thing alive in one piece. From coast to coast, from border to border, from one end to the other, and all points in between. The Classic Guitar Rock Podcast is on. Yes! That's awesome! We crank up and break down the great guitar-driven rock of the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And you are invited to come along. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes, it's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it! And now, your host, Jeremy Lunnan. Yeah, we don't know anything about that fellow there. Who is he? Where's he coming from? It's time for the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. All right, welcome to a special live and dangerous edition of the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. And I am super excited. Our guest tonight is Jeb Wright. And Jeb, I'm not going to let you talk for a sec. I want to talk about you in front of you uh, for for a minute. Yeah, it's going to be really embarrassing. So (laughs) Jeb was the creator, the manager i don't know what you call you the grand poobah i don't know what your title was i like that of the classic rock revisited website and if and if you never checked out the classic rock revisited website it started in in 1999 and i think i was telling jeb earlier i think i came along about 2000 because from 2000 i mean you were during lunch I'd sit at my desk and I would read the classic rock revisited website. And I'm not going to lie. Sometimes when it wasn't lunch, I'd be <laughs> the, the website, but man, it was, it was the place for interviews and reviews. And I don't mean to embarrass you, but Jeb, you to me, I'm sure there were others, but you to me were the, the, the first citizen journalist in classic <laughs> rock. I really, I really believe that. And you inspired me to think, you know what? Uh, and, and here's why I say this, Jeb, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you seem like a normal guy, right? <laughs> right? More or less, more or you less. Seem like a normal guy, right? You, you and I are about the same age. We graduated a year apart in the mid 80s. Jeb's in Kansas. I grew up in Oklahoma. <laughs> we had a lot in common. We like a lot of the same music. And I was thinking, Jeb is a normal guy who's following his dream to talk about music. And, and, and that was just inspiring to me. And so, uh, you know, I started my little ragtag thing slightly different way, you know, started a YouTube channel that's still one of the crappiest YouTube channels on YouTube, <laughs> but then started the podcast in 2020. I wish I would have started the podcast a lot sooner when I first thought about it, but, but you were, you were very inspirational to me. So I just want you to know that. And, and uh, to be honest, I don't know what your viewership was like on the website. I don't, I don't know. All I know is that it was a great website, a wealth of information and I loved it. So I'm super excited to talk to you tonight, Jeb. So thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty humbly. The only one I know for sure that when you say I'm a normal guy that would disagree is probably my wife. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. And that's something our wives have in common too. By that's the way. right. <laughs> that's awesome. So my first question is, number one, give us a thumbnail sketch of your formative years. We're going to talk about your book here in a minute. Jeb has written a not, it's not a rock book. It's not a rockumentary. It's not a Martin Popoff type book that you might think he would write. He wrote a novel. I did. Yeah. And uh, we're going to, we're going to talk about that, but first tell us a bit about you growing up and then what inspired you to start doing this, to building this website in 1999. Man, there's a lot. That's a big, huge question. My formative years. <laughs> I was a, I was a rock kid, man. I mean, I grew up the thing that probably first introduced me to rock music that showed me and made me feel cool about rock music was my, uh, I, I grew up in Topeka, Kansas. And my grandparents, I lived down the street from them about maybe three or four blocks. And it was the time is the seventies. You, you know, kind of lived half the time with your grandparents. And my one day I was probably nine or 10 years old and just starting to listen to the radio. V100 was at Kansas City at KY 102. You're just starting to introduce. I had a sister that was three years older. So I'm getting kind of some music from her. And uh, my grandfather came in and he said, you know, I know you're starting to like this popular music. And I said, yeah, that's right. And he goes, well, Mrs. Williams next door said to come over because her son plays in an orchestra. Oh. I'm thinking an orchestra, you know, I don't, I'm like, oh, gee, thanks, Paul. You know, this is great. You know, but he's like, I, I think it's a pretty popular orchestra. So Mrs. Williams was a wonderfully nice lady <laughs> next door. And I went, I knocked on her door and I said, my, my grandpa told me to come over here that you wanted to you know, tell me about your son's orchestra. And she laughed and she goes, well, it's not really orchestra. It's a rock band. And they're, uh, my son's Rich Williams. He plays guitar in Kansas. Wow. And immediately I went, oh, <laughs> and she let me in the house. And in the, this would have probably been around the left overture release. And in the background, back on the wall, he had like gold platinum albums that he'd given mm. her. And immediately I was like, this is pretty cool. Now, this was before cell phones. I couldn't take a selfie with them or a picture. Nobody at school believed me. Yeah. <laughs> I, had to, I had to convince him. But so it was. Kansas that gets the credit for me starting to like uh, rock and roll the way I did. And she did some cool stuff. She had Rich sign and the band sign some records for me that I still have. And through this, I got to know Rich really well and even took my grandpa to a show before he passed away mm. so he could, he could see Rich. But anyway, that was it. The formative years, you can, you, you talked about my book, Blast from the Past. It is not a raw, it is a true novel. Uh, it is not the main character might've done similar things to me, even though it's fiction. So right, if you read right. that, you'll really know my formative years. There was a tad, even here in Kansas where nobody thinks anything happens, but you know, we watch wheat grow. Yeah. Uh, it yeah. was, it was the era of sex, drugs, rock and roll. And uh, I got into rock and roll hook line and sinker, man. I mean, my parents kind of got divorced. I mean, it's, it's just a typical story. You know, mm -hmm. I'm 15 kind of bummed out and sad, not sure what's going to happen. There's a record store within bicycling distance. And I start just living in Paul's records and tapes and, and buying circus magazine and hip parader. Wasn't much of a only stone guy, but I like circus and hip parader. Mm -hmm. And man, if I'd read a review about an album, a band I never heard of, I was going to go buy it and check it out. Mowed lawns, skipped, skipped lunch at high school, you know, to save the, the few dollars and was always hitting them. And then discovered, you remember the day, Jeremy, that you discovered used record stores? You oh, know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there was a couple of those that I didn't need a car yet to be at. I could buy sickle over. And I started just buying records every week. Just become, I mean, addicted is a strong word, but I was under the influence for sure. Music did something for me. My wife put it best after all the, we've been married last, last week was 27 years. So she's put up with me a long time, but she said many years ago, she goes, I knew you liked music. I didn't know you liked it this much. Yeah. But, but one of the wisest things she said to me one time was she goes, most people listen to music. You feel music. Mm -hmm. I think that's true. So mm -hmm. I did come to this by a pure love of music. And for me, I play guitar and I started that out in high school. So I wanted to know about guitar bands. I wasn't so worried about Casey and the sunshine band, you know, I'd rather listen to Judas Priest, but Jeremy, I had this, I remember one time in Topeka, 
I went to my record store. It was a different one. It was a new one had opened. I pedaled down to my record store. Might have, might have driven by then. I'd have to look back at the years for sure. But I remember buying Love Drive by the Scorpions and uh, Paul and si- uh, Simon and Garfunkel live in Central Park. Mm-hmm. And I, it's weird how you remember stuff. The lady at the counter said, is this one a gift? She held up the Simon. Are you getting this as a gift? And I was like, I like them both, man. He's a good guitar player, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I spend more time listening to Scorpions, but I have a great appreciation for all kinds of guitar music. But that was it. I could not get enough of this stuff. Years go by. Fast forward, we're up to about 1998. Hadn't started the site yet, but I, I had gone from the circus and the hit paraders into the guitar worlds and guitar like, magazine and things like that. And I remember bitching at Patty and just going, they're covering Nirvana and they're covering the screaming trees. You know, it's like my bands aren't even hardly getting mentioned in these things, you know, where, where can I learn about new music? And she said, well, you know, that internet thing we signed up for people get these websites. And we're like, how do you do a website? And we found somebody that could do it and they helped us do it. And then I still didn't know what I was going to do. I came up with the name Classic Rock Revisited, you know, because it really was at 99 by now when I debuted. It really had become almost the butt of a lot of jokes, man. It was the dinosaur era. And uh, true story, man, I I needed, I knew I wanted, I wanted to do interviews, but I didn't believe I could. You know, I mean, <laughs> I have zero, zero journalistic training. I'm in sales uh, which probably helped me because I'm not afraid to talk and things like that. And I performed, you know, uh, so I wasn't scared. But at the same time, I didn't know what to do. So I went down to Hastings was a record and tape chain. I think yep. I don't know if they were everywhere, but they were in the Midwest. And I just went to the new release. And I need to find a new release because on the back, if you remember this, this was before the Internet was the Internet. There weren't a lot of websites. There wasn't a lot of information. So I wanted to go buy a new release by a classic artist just to see who the record company was. And, and they didn't even put phone numbers then, but there'd be an address. And then you could search the address on, on the Internet. So the only thing that was out that I really saw that I thought might click was it was uh, it was I can't remember the name of it. Now, Steady Eddie or something like that. It was Eddie Money. So I bought it and I, I, I'm a big Eddie Money fan. So I thought this would be cool. I'd probably buy this anyway. And it was CMC International Records. And so I looked it up and I got somehow got a phone number. And and being the you're a Midwesterner, you know, sometimes we just pretending isn't the best. We don't pretend a lot around here. <laughs> you know, I just got on the phone. And I said, hey, uh, can I speak to someone in publicity? They're like, sure. And they put me on hold. And this lady came on, had a thick New York accent. Said, this is Laura Kaufman. I don't know if you were around when Laura was around. She's she's since passed away, but Laura was legendary. I didn't know that. Lieber Krebs from the beginning up. You know, she was their publicist. Yeah, Laura had been around forever. And so I tell her what I'm going to do. She actually laughs. Yeah, New York laughs. And she said, you got guts. And I said, well, this is what I want to do. And she goes, I'll tell you what. She goes, I'm going to send you six or seven CDs. I want you to listen to them. I want you to write a couple of paragraphs and I want them to put them on that website. I said, okay, hung up the phone. Couldn't believe it. You know, I was like, well, she's not going to send me music. I'm some idiot in, in, in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Sure enough. A few days later, I get a little box. I open it. There's these CDs. There's Bloister Cold, whoever they had on their lineup, you know, was in there. And I'm like going, Oh my God. I honestly, Jeremy thought I'd, I thought, I thought I could get no higher because I was getting free music. And music to me was, you know, that was my crack, man, you know, and now I'm getting records free. She, I write them up. I do it all like this. You talk about fast. You know, I'm listening to them. I'm writing them. I'm like, I got to do good. I got to get this up. I go get them up. And she goes, would you want to do an interview? I'm like, sure. You know, I don't have any equipment. I don't have a microphone. I mean, I got a microphone for like guitars and stuff. You know, I have a number four tracks. You can record inside a four track. So I'm like, sure, I could do that. You know, not knowing how I'm going to do it. So I get a speakerphone, and the first interview I ever did was Roger Earl of Foghat. And uh, coincidentally, it was not by design. My last interview I did was Roger Earl of Foghat 20 years later. Wow. Yeah, and I became good friends with Roger and his wife over the years. But uh, that's just how it worked out. 
but I, I was in my bedroom with the speakerphone, I had my mic stand and I'm trying to get it, get it where it is. And I'm on my knees, you know, trying to be close enough to talk and it just winged it, just talked like we're talking and it went good. And then I had to learn the joy of transcribing, which I still to this day despise. But back then it was with little micro cassettes, you know, so you're always rewinding and you're typing, you're rewinding and, and yada, yada, yada. And she likes it. And she said, I tell you what, she goes, kid, I got an idea. And I'm like, what? And she goes, I got a friend. Her name's Carol Kay. She's with Chaos Productions. We worked together back at Lieber. Why don't I introduce you to her and see if she needs anything? And so I did. And she said, I'm setting up interviews with Ted Nugent. With, you know, can I get you on with Ted? And I grew up, Ted was, we're not going to talk politics and guns. That's not my thing. Guitars. Nuge was my guy growing up. You know, I, I had the Kansas rock and roll mentality. I could see you swinging on stage with a loincloth. You know? <laughs> it appealed to me. You know, what with Double Odd Gonzo and Great White Buffalo, those things were in my blood. And I'm like, I get to talk to Ted Nuge. No way. And I did the interview. The funny story on that, and it's I'll shut up, but the little tiny story on that was my, my phone broke. My speaker went out on my phone. Oh, no. I'm, it. I'm hitting it. And this is, I mean, I'm pretty young. I'm still like 32 maybe and raising two kids and got a wife and I'm, I'm back. I'm one of those that went to college late. You know, I still wasn't in my career. I was pumping gas at my stepdad's gas station and I was going to school at night and I was just doing this for, I don't know why, you know, and uh, my, my wife ran next door. We had an elderly couple next door. Uh, well, and I mean, about 80 years old. Ask them if she can look at their phone. <laughs> they said, yeah. They had a speaker phone. She's like, can I borrow this? And they're like, sure, honey. And she runs it over. We plug it in right as it's the call's coming in. And so my heart's in my chest. And then to make more hilarious just things that you do at the beginning. The third one was then uh, a few days later, she said, we have Ian Hill of Judas Priest. And it was, it was uh, Carol Kay from Chaos. And I'm like, sure. At that point, I would have interviewed anyone. You know, but but I'm like, Judas Priest, are you kidding me? I uh, it, I had to go to work. I got called into work. And my wife, whose record collection features things like Conway Twitty <laughs> and, and is diverse. She's as diverse as she would have CDs of Conway Twitty, um, maybe, maybe a chick or chic or whoever, the, you know, the, the disco guys. And uh and, and maybe Ozzy Osbourne, she had a weird, she still does, has a real eclectic taste. Hates Judas Priest. <laughs> I write out questions for her. She does the interview. <laughs> you kidding. No. And well, she even said, oh, the tape is a joy. I still have it somewhere. But she's, and my wife is like five foot one and, and just your typical mom, mommy and grandma type. You know? mm-hmm. So she's like, well, Mr. Hill. My husband had to go to work, so I hope I can answer it. He was chuckling right from the start, you know, and didn't know any of the songs. But she pulled it off, and we got one. And we started that grassroots level. And at the time, in 98, 99, there weren't a lot of websites, but there people would trade links. You remember that? Yeah. When I would do that interview with Ted Nugent, I would get a hold of Carol Kay and say, would you please see if they would put a link up to this interview because we'll link in that interview. And those were the good old days. The traffic came, man. Mm-hmm. And we slowly started to build. And and I for the people that have the listeners that did see it, it was fairly, I mean it was a rolling stone, but it was it was pretty good, man. I mean we had we had thousands of people a day logging in from all over the country, you know. I ended up having a little staff by the end of it. We had writers and I actually some of them never got paid. But they did it out of love. And then I had I did sell ads. I did it all. I mean, I really did. This was never your you were always still working a day job. Oh yeah. Yeah. Wow. I got known as a rock and roll guy at the mm-hmm. I, it's a it's a plastics blow molding company. And I'm uh, I'm in the sales department. And so that did give me more flexibility. I wasn't when I started, I was a supervisor out on the floor, but I got promoted up into the sales department. And that helped. I mean it helped. But I got our CEO a few times, you know, I'd be like, hey, hey, I need to run home at, you know, mm-hmm. two o'clock. Interviews. He'd be like, who are you interview? And then I'd be like, Joe Walsh. He's like, go, just go. <laughs> <laughs> That's and awesome. I really, I really did kind of get the reputation as the rock guy. I mean, my wife was the blessing in it all because she allowed me to do it. I mean, and I don't mean by allowed me to do it, but she allowed me the freedom 
to make it successful. Right. And that meant uh, I didn't want to miss life with the kids. That meant waking up at 5 a.m. on Saturday morning and Sunday morning with a pile of CDs this big and writing reviews till everybody got up at nine or, you know, everybody sleeps in but me yeah. till nine or 10 o'clock. Let me just interject this so people understand. Sure. Okay. You'd go to the CRR website. The, the first place I always went were the interviews, right? Yep. I, I, I read, all the interviews you've mentioned, I've read them, right? <laughs> I've read all those interviews. And like Ted, you've had Ted on it several <laughs> times. Oh, yeah. I think you had Ian Hill again, too, didn't you? Did you? Oh, ever sure. Yeah. So all, all the priest guys. You've yep. got all the priest guys because I've read them with KK and I've read and I was a huge priest fan, by the way. Me too. But what people don't understand is album reviews, concert reviews. And you were writing. How long was it till you had a staff? Because in the oh, early few years, years, several years, it's just you. Right. <laughs> and everything is Jeb Wright. I'm like. I assumed this was your full-time gig because I didn't know how you would do it because there was so I, much writing going on. I did it. And I didn't sleep. I mean, number <laughs> one, but I really didn't miss the kids stuff. I mean, we made all their ball games, we don't, but I would just stay up late and do it. I would get up. I would do tremendous amounts on the weekend. I really don't have the type of job that I could really cheat much at work either, man. So I really didn't do it at work, but, but I've always been a writer. Uh, it's always been a hobby and things like that. And you get fast, man. You just get fast at writing. And reviews and things like that, they were easy for me. I've never struggled with the review. I didn't really put on pretenses. I mean, I wasn't the type to say, oh, I'm going to review this band because I don't like them and I rip them. I wasn't that way. I'd give everybody a fair listen. I figured by this age with these artists I was covering, they knew what they were doing, mm. by and large. They, they knew how to go in and make it out. Now, was it? really good or was it just middle of the road and sometimes they did suck but those were easy concert reviews i usually wrote when i got home from the concert mm. just do it bam so when you <laughs> look back 20 years you did this right 20 years you ran the yeah. and i know you got a lot of cool moments but when you think back what are some of the coolest things that ha happened as a result of you having this website of anything yeah. I mean, just cool things. Yeah. Well, I mean, when, when you start out just as we're talking, you know, rigging microphones and no training and, mm -hmm. and you know, writing out things for your wife to interview a heavy metal band when she's, you know, <laughs> listening to Elvis, you know, to think that within a few years I'm at, I'm at UCLA, invited to UCLA on the red carpet at the VH1 Rock Honors for the Who, and I'm talking to Pete Townsend. <laughs> mm. <laughs> That's cool, man. That's just cool. Uh, we did all the VH1 things in Vegas, and then we, I think we did two in Vegas and, mm. and got to go experience what that was like. But, I mean, there's so many, it's hard to say. I ate a duck with Ted Nugent, you know, <laughs> with our bare hands backstage, you know. He's like, hey, boy, look over. Ted's got that little lisp when he talks. Yeah. Those, right? yeah. That little sound, you know, Michigan guy. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. hey, Jebo, you know, Jebo. I got a duck coming in. You want to eat a duck? I'm like, Ted, there aren't any plates. We don't need plates. You know? <laughs> We're just tearing ducks off. And then Derek St. Oaks comes in and like yanks his leg off, starts gnawing on it. It just ends up everything. Everything ends up cool. To me, I mean, and your story is <laughs> awesome. Because one of the questions I had was, and you kind of answered it, but in general, how did artists respond, you know, in the early days when people, they didn't know who you were. I mean, uh, was everyone friendly? Did you ever have people that kind of blew you off? I mean, were they, for the most part, were they all good experiences interviewing these people? For the most part. And, and you learn real quick as you do this in life that some guys are in it to just do their job and get the news out and they put on the little I'm being interviewed. I'm being interviewed. Other guys kind of get deep or they really enjoy the question. Some guys might be having a bad day, but they never really treated me poorly. But at the same time, you could kind of tell it was like, oh, let's, you know, let's get the max. Yeah. How long am I going to do this? And then other guys, just like in life, they, they kind of, you kind of click. My worst, one of my worst interviews turned into a really good interview and ended up with a, uh, a friendship that ended up really up until he died, actually, it was Kevin Dubrow, A Quiet Riot. Tell us how that played out. Well, if you remember, around the 2000 era, Quiet Riot was not doing so hot. Well, as many as many bands weren't, and and that's back when VH, even like VH1, was kind of put out the thing on them, and they're playing like the 
the nudist festival <laughs> and you know the gigs and the the gigs that weren't so so attractive you know and and they were struggling and some of that did kind of help me because i was a guy trying to give these bands some publicity so i did get some luck there but kevin kevin had a personality and he even had a reputation you know i mean when they were at their heyday he was bashing all the bands and he almost got himself yeah it's so i'm assuming your guy you, anybody that listens to your podcast we don't have to go real deep into this they, they know and uh I was always a fan. I wasn't a huge fan, but I always I loved them. I mean, I was 16 or 15 when Bang Your Head came out. And I, I just loved it. So I was excited. Well, it was a phoner, and it was after a long day he'd been doing phoners. I'm like the last one. And he's in a hotel room somewhere. And it probably wasn't a, a glamorous one at that point in his career. Yeah. And, and we get on there. We start talking, and he's just giving one-line answers. Oh, yeah, we're happy yeah. between. You know, and I'm like, oh, Jesus, this sucks, you know. I'm struggling and I try and I try and maybe after 10 minutes, I, and this is one thing, Jeremy, I just didn't have, maybe I didn't know enough to know how to act, but I was fine. I didn't do it rude. I finally said, Hey, Kevin, you sound like you've had a bad day and I don't want to put up a bad interview. So it's no hard feelings if we don't want to do this interview. Mm-hmm. And he was like, what? And I was like, no, seriously, we can either reschedule or we can do something else. I understand. You guys are working. You've done a lot of. If you don't want to do this, man, I don't want to type it. You know, so you kind of laugh. You know, you kind of making jokes like, I really don't want to type this up if it's going to be terrible. You know, and he kind of chuckles. And we, we, well, hold on. Yeah, it's been a bad. You just start him on a little bit. Hadn't really started the interview, and he started playing some music, just real low. I heard it in the background, and uh, I heard it, and just automatically, I went, "Dude, is that Bloodwind Pig?" And I'm a huge Jethro Tull fan. Yeah. So, you know, Mick Abrams was the original Jethro Tull guitarist, went on to have this little, in America, little known band called Bloodwind Pig. But in England, they, they had a career, you know. Hugh just went silent. He goes, what? I go, that sounds like Bloodwind Pig. And he goes, how in the bleep do you know Bloodwind Pig? And I said, well, how do you know? And he goes, dude, I'm as big a fan as I am. A rock star. He goes, I love this old rock stuff, especially the English stuff and this and that and the other. And so we stopped the interview. We don't, we don't, I'm still rolling tape, but we stopped talking about Quiet Riot and we start talking about Plugwood Pig. We talk about T Rex. We talk about old Uriah Heap, you know, uh, the David Bowie and the Spiders. You know, we just go through this early 70s. We're just going back and forth. We're laughing at you. Finally, he goes, I tell you, man, he goes, let's, let's just start over and do this interview. Did a killer interview, just the whole career of Quiet Ride. Took like an hour and a half. I was, I was so tired of talking on the phone. We went through, and then he goes, When are we coming around you? I said, Well, you're coming to KC before long, man. And hooked me up with passes, met me. We, sh- we hit it off in person just as good as we did. And we ended up staying friends to the point where uh, when I'd go to Vegas, I mean, we, we'd hit the strip and we, and there's so many funny stories I can't really tell about Kevin. <laughs> but he was fun, man. I mean, he did have that attitude. He was fun. One of the funny was, it's not bad, but he picked me up at my hotel and he had a brand new Jaguar. This is long time later, probably into the teens. And they'd done the Rock Never Stops tour. I think Nuge was on there and acquired several bands. Been a successful tour. And he picks me up in this, this Jag, man, this beautiful Jaguar. I hop in and I'm like, dude, this is nice. And he goes, well, he goes, we're going to my favorite place. You know, and he's like, Rockstar always buys. I'm Rockstar always buys. I'm buying you. I'm like, hey, dude, you got the Jag. I'll let you buy. And I said, uh, I said, now I'm going to ask you a bad question. I said, what, what do you got to pay for one of these these days? You know, And he goes, you want to know what you got to pay to get this Jaguar? He goes, every cent I made on the Rock Never Stops tour. And then I love it. He goes, he goes, dude, I live with my mom. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and, uh, and you're talking about Glenn Hughes. At, at dinner that night, Hughes called us. It just out of the blue, called Kevin. And uh, and I'd interviewed Glenn several times. He's like, hey, you remember Jeb? I'm sitting with Jeb. And it was just, it was like any other business. It was networking, man. But Kevin and I, I introduced him to Brian May, which he, I thought he was going to wet his pants. It was at the, uh, it was at the after party for one of the rock honors. I'm getting old and forgetting the names of uh, the House of Blues. Is it the House of Blues? And uh, uh, we got up and we're up there. Now, I wasn't there with him then. I just saw he, which was even cooler. Rock nerds only will get a charge out of this because I did. I walk in and there's Dubrow and standing next to Jimmy Bain. And I was like, I've never met Jimmy Bain, you know, 
And Jimmy Bain was just, I think, glad somebody knew he was Jimmy Bain, you know. <laughs> and we we were seated next to each other actually during the show. That's where we saw each other. Then we saw each other backstage, and Queen was one of the artists, Queen with Paul Rogers at that time. And we were back just hanging, watching the show. It was Priest was at this party, and, and Kiss was there, and, and uh, uh, whoever else was on there. But it was just cool. And Queen, and uh, we're sitting there. And there's Brian May, you know, the nine feet tall guy, you know, just saying he's talking to people hanging. And I look and do pros like, oh, man, he's one of my idols because I don't have the guts. to go. I said, dude, what do you mean you don't have the guts to talk to Brian May? Man, it's Brian May. You're you're not chopped liver, you know. So I go, come on. I walk over and I'm like, hey, Brian. And he looks down and he's very pointed and me, you know. <laughs> and, and, you know, I talked to him a minute and and I had done a lot of interviews. As you, If you followed the site, Paul and I did, Paul Rogers and I did a lot of interviews. So I yes. told him, I, you know, I, knew, yes. I knew Paul well. And uh, so we start chatting and I said, I want to introduce somebody. This is my friend Kevin Dupreau. And he said, he's in a band called Quiet Riot. And Brian goes, oh, bang your head. Like that. <laughs> My bro was gonna throw up, man. I did. I he went the rest of the night on cloud nine, like going, I can't believe he knows my band. And I was like, dude, you guys, that was a pretty big record, dude. And you ask one of the cooler things. Friendships like that are the cool things. They're rare, but they do happen. So are you still in touch with a lot of these guys? Well, not Kevin. <laughs> well, he died he died in 2013. Is that right? Yeah, was it yeah. Okay. Yeah, and and I remember he and Glenn did an album together or we're working on something together. I don't know if that album ever. Glenn actually did a, a, that old spooky tooth track on the last quiet, one of the quiet ride albums. That's right. Okay. Awesome. Uh, I don't go around hounding the guys. I mean, I don't, but a a real classic rock fan would love myself. (laughs) No, it's amazing. And you know what I, and I'll be honest, you know, I, I worked in radio for about a decade and I I'm in a, my day job is as a corporate trainer. So I'm used to people and I'm afraid to call these people and ask them, you know, I've interviewed Graham Bonnet, who I think you interviewed also. Yeah. 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 Graham Bonnet, super nice. And the bass player, Bethany, who's also his girlfriend, she was kind of his publicist and she set it all up and she was super nice and the interview went great. And so that gave me a little more confidence. And I've got other people who've said that Stephen Piercy has said, Hey, he'll come on the pod. I just do it. It's kind of intimidating, you know? And I guess, I guess what's impressive to me about your story is you said, I'm going to do it. And you did it. I will say this though. I I felt those same feelings. I just didn't allow them to overtake me, man. And I have a competitive nature, but I was almost competing against myself a little bit, you know. And I'd be like, I want that interview, man. I want that interview. And I didn't get everybody. You know, I got a lot, but I didn't get everybody. You know, I mean, I interviewed everybody in Merrill Smith, but Tyler, he wouldn't do internet back then. I mean, some people would not do internet, but I just would do it. You know, I figured all they can do is say no. Exactly. You know, and what I would do too, Jeremy, I would, I would get in with some of the publicity folks, you know, and like uh, uh, Chip Ruggieri from Chipster PR or somebody like that. And it, it, he may have Priest on there. He may have Iron Maiden on there. He may have these A-list clientele, but he might have Nelson. Right. I hate Nelson. <laughs> I'm not a hair fan guy by and large, but Nelson would, I'd see a press release and I'd be like, hey, I'll interview him for you. Mm-hmm. And I do the interview. And I do a good job. I mean, I went out there. I mean, I had a plan, you know, if I if I'd done a shitty job or was rude to him, that would backfire. So I do a real, I'd actually have to listen to their album, you know, and become knowledgeable. And then I do it. And then I do another one. And that's why, you know, you start out with Ian Hill. Not that there's anything wrong with Ian. He's a legend. But, you know, you want Hawthorne. You want KK. Exactly. You want that. And if you go into it, the attitude of, I, I have this website or podcast and I deserve to have it, you're going to screw yourself. You know, yeah. go in with it. It's like, I'll interview, I'll interview the guy that used to be the singer for Priest Street or I'll interview Ripper. You know, I'll do whoever it is because I'm going to build those relationships. And you start building them and it helps when the self-promotion back then with the links and getting the word out now it would probably be press releases or whatever. Um, it helps there. And then it helps you when they remember you. And it, it, I'm telling you, it starts off just like that. Like I didn't get Hallford the first time on my own merits. I got I got the email going, "Hey, Rob's three o'clock canceled." 
can you do it? They'll be like, yep, I'd yep. find a way. Yeah, yeah. But no, I was terrified when I started doing this. Then it became an artist thing. This is where you're a classic rock fan. You're either a rocker or a journalist. I was a rocker. I wasn't a journalist. You know, I was a rocker. And, and Patty, my wife, used to laugh at me a little bit because I could, I could literally come in and be, hey, this is really cool. I'd be hung. I'd be pumped. It's like, I'm going to get to talk to Gary Rossington today. You know, I'd be all happy about it. I'd, I'd get my stuff together. I didn't really use notes because I knew it, you know, might jot a couple things, but I'm like, cool, man. Who ever thought I'd talk? I was like a kid. But then you'd get somebody like, I'd, I'd come into her and I'd be pale going, I'm an interview shooting star. It's like, I can't believe and she's like, who? And I'm like, you're nervous about them? I'm like, oh, I'm terrified. You're Robin Trower. We get to talk to Robin Trower. She's like, who? You know, she's like, these guys make you. I said, it's not that. It's what they meant to me. What that music meant to me. My most nervous I've ever been, and I interviewed the guy at least 10 times, and we did great interviews, was Ian Anderson. Really? I am a toll fanatic. I'm not a prog rocker either, but uh, so I like famous prog bands. ELP, Toll, yeah, see, uh, the, the big ones. And yeah. and Toll, I just loved. I loved them since I was twelve. Yeah, and and the first. I mean, every time I talk to you, Andrew, you feel like you should be sitting at attention. You know, <laughs> I get scared. I would. I'd be nervous. The rest of our interview with Classic Guitar Rock Revisited's Jeb Wright is coming up on the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How do we cram so much classic rock into one podcast? Ancient Chinese Secret. Welcome back to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. This is Jeremy Lennon, and we are continuing our interview with Classic Rock Revisited's Jeb Wright. So when you talk to all of these, and I'm trying to pick the right words, and you'll know what I'm talking about. So you're talking to these guys that, and I'm just going to be blunt. Some people who aren't big <laughs> classic rock fans might think these are kind of has-beens. Exactly. <laughs> so when, you, when you're interviewing the hundreds of classic rock artists that you interviewed, was there a, a common thread or did you, did you get kind of an underlying vibe from all of these guys that are no longer in the limelight like they used to be? And let's be honest, some of them all kind of got a little you know, slapped by grunge, depending yeah. on when they were popular in the eighties or whatever. But, but was there any, I don't want to use the word bitterness, but right. Did you ever? Oh, not with the big, not with the pros. I mean, if that, I think one thing is you could tell just from talking to me, I always treat them with respect. I mean, they did something I couldn't do, even if it was freaking warrant, you mm -hmm. know, maybe I, maybe I didn't buy a lot of warrant out, but they did something I sure as hell didn't. Right. You know, I have a respect for that. And I would also know my stuff. You know, I remember Eric Bloom one time we're doing a Blue Oyster Cold interview and he started out with a lot of the background. I was like, Bloom, you don't need to talk about that, man. It's like, yeah, I know that. I know he's like, well, you know your background. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the other thing I would do is, even though you'll want to talk about the classic stuff, Blue Oyster Cold have a new album out. I would, I would feature it. You know, it's like, I'd give them a little more time maybe and let them talk about the new stuff. But I really think it was just relationship based. Now I've had conversations off the record with some guys, you know, that are like, Oh, I don't know if I do this anymore. You know, and we've all seen the band, you know, the ones that aren't as good. Here's something I learned a lot. I mean, and it makes sense when you think about it for 10 seconds, most of these guys are fans of music. Yeah. They're not yeah. going to be in bands and be in musicians if they're not fans themselves. And I think I could tap into that. We've all read the sex story. The, the I mean, yeah, if they want to talk about it, we'll have some laughs. But I want to know what makes them tick. I want to know about writing songs. I want to know about, you know, what, what goes through their mind. What's their process? What's it like to be on the road? I mean, just kind of maybe fan-based questions a little more than some others. I think one of the things that jumped out at me about your stuff 
at least the interview piece is yours weren't the standard questions that you'd get from every single interview. So one, one of the things that I appreciated about, like when I interviewed Graham Bonnet, for instance, is as I told him, I said, Graham, I'm going to ask you questions that you've never been asked before. And I'm not going to ask questions that you get asked in every single interview. And he was like, really? I didn't ask him about Richie Blackmore. I didn't ask him about getting fired from Michael Shanker group. I didn't ask him about any of that stuff. I didn't ask him about his short hair and Richie Blackmore getting pissed <laughs> about that. I asked him about these things and he even said, I've never been asked that question before. To your point, knowing your stuff and being a fan and not just trying, you, how much do you think Steven Piercy wants to answer the question, is Rat ever going to get back together? I mean, <laughs> I, I make it a point when I do interview someone that's that's famous, I don't want to ask them the same old stuff that you can hear everywhere. And now, and this will kind of lead into my next question here, there's a thousand guys just like me with podcasts in their basement, right? That's the power and the curse of the internet, right? It was the internet yeah. that allowed you to do what you did. And at the same time, it allows a lot of the rest of us <laughs> to do the same thing. So I got to kind of feel for some of these artists that are probably getting hit up to get interviewed by people all the time. Some guy in his basement who has a podcast on the one hand, that's probably the last thing they want to do. But on the other hand, like you said earlier, Hey, they need all the publicity they can get if they're out on the road or whatever. I would love to hear your thoughts. Two things, right? Two questions, your thoughts in general on the internet what it's meant to music and how we listen to music today versus how you and I grew up listening to music. And then also, I don't want to sound like an old fart when I say this, but <laughs> why was our music so much better than the new uh, music? Well, the, the first part, I mean, I'm not an expert. I mean, I, I like some of the internet. I hate most of the internet. Uh, <laughs> I kind of do like Facebook, but not because I get in arguments or read, just because I get to put my thoughts out for people to read. It's just totally narcissistic. But uh, <laughs> but uh, when as a writer, it's good practice, too. You know, you go yeah. just sit around in the morning and put your thoughts out. I, I do enjoy it. Uh, but back in the day, I remember probably, you know, out doing this or doing this and in the middle of the countryside or talk to you, but you're like, dude, I read this article and one day we're going to be able to be in the car and have our entire record collection with us. Everybody's like, no way, no way. And it isn't quite how I envisioned it might've been, but it happens, you know, it happened. And I understand the, the horribleness of, of how some of the artists feel with the royalties from Spotify. And that's one where I have, I mean, yes, I do think they deserve money. On another hand, as a old person, older rocker, I bought the album, I bought the CD, probably bought a cassette somewhere along the line. You know, I might be three times into an album. So by God, if I want to stream the damn thing on Spotify, I'm going to do it. Right. But, but I understand the plight. I mean, I do understand. And if they charged a few more bucks a month, I wouldn't. Well, and here's the thing about Spotify, because I, I get it, you know, they get so little off of that. But on the other hand, I was, you mentioned the used record stores, probably 80% <laughs> of my records were from the used record store. So they weren't getting any, they weren't getting any there. No. So at least they get a pittance, right? When, <laughs> I, when I stream. I think one of the weird things about it is, and, and I'm not, I really don't understand how the whole royalty thing works, but I guess it's more akin, and this is a guess, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I guess it's more akin to like what a radio play would get and they get a few cents mm -hmm. and they're feeling, I think more like maybe like having a 45 or, a, or an album, they would get more. And I agree with that. Uh, but the thing that get, gets tough is, is once I buy the 45, I can play it 10,000 times and I don't pay for it anymore, but I do think they should be paid better. And I do think there's gotta be an answer out there, but I have no clue what it is, but I don't spend much of my time worried about it. Yeah, uh, I do use it. I pay. I pay my monthly fee. I'm a Spotify guy. So am I. So am I. Yeah, I, I listen. Your analogy is perfect. You have your whole record collection with you in the car, and that's exactly what it is. By the Pretty way, cool, man. For, 20, for 2022, my most streamed artist was UFO. There you go, man. 
surprise me. I mean, I love UFO and I knew I listened to them a lot, but I was surprised that was my most. If they were number one. I need well, to check. I never one. check anymore. Yeah. At the um, end of the year, they'll give you the little. They, they give you that list. Related to that. Okay. And I talk about the blessing and the curse of this, right? The yeah. The internet technology. Remember back in, in our day, 70s and 80s is you had a few record companies and, you know, you'd get signed by the record companies and that's the way you did it. Well, then all of a sudden the internet comes along and we've got people that have become mega stars that, that went around. They didn't need record companies. Justin Bieber posted videos on YouTube and uh, Billie Eilish and her brother produced an album in their bedroom. So we got the technology exists today that would have cost hundreds of thousands of dollars in 1978. Well, now it's at your fingertips, right? So the good thing about that is anyone can make an album now. Sure. The bad news is anyone can anyone make an album. Make I think the machine had a purpose. I think record producers had a purpose. Mm. And I think the distribution channels had a purpose. And I think it's hurt music overall. I do think not having a business in music is, is, but we're going through it with writing. Mm. You know, we're going through it with anything artistic that it's just kind of a mismatch. The cool part is guys like you and me can listen to anything we want and pay a small fee. The bad part is there's no, you know, where's, how do you take Kansas for instance, but how do they get, how do they get to that fourth and fifth album? You know, they, they'd yeah. never be given the chance, you know, uh, the record companies would give them each one sold a little more and then they, they, they were able to mature. And now there's so many bands doing so much stuff. I don't even search it anymore. I just don't. Yeah. I'm like, I don't, even, I don't have time. Go on Spotify and look up rainbow. Rainbow has like 300 albums on Spotify because everything <laughs> they've ever done they're releasing it as live and stuff. Released as live, live in Des Moines, cool. live. In, you know, so on the one hand, it's it's cool, yeah. But but it's it is. I miss I miss the old days. I mean, the record stores. There's some we didn't even talk about, man. Yeah, I, mean, I miss record stores. I miss I miss the hype. I miss the the magazines. Yeah, yeah. There's websites and things, but it. I was part of the. I guess the thing that got rid of. <laughs> well, Jeb. Do you remember what a new record smelled like? <laughs> I haven't thought about that, but yeah. You can. You remember you'd remember that? You'd sit on your bed. Maybe you had the headphones on. Maybe you're just playing your record player, but you'd open up that album and you read the I mean, I mean that was a tactile yeah. experience, you know. I don't that, think I would be the fan I am today of music without that experience. Agreed. And I can see why so many don't and the younger guys that don't or younger people, I should say, that don't uh, that don't get hooked the way we get hooked. And I can see why there's bands just releasing singles and why they come and they get real big and then they go away and the next one comes. It was our thing. It was our generation. It was our time. Uh, yeah. But I, I definitely miss it. Roger Daltrey, about a year ago, remember, I'm sure you saw this, where he said, doesn't make sense for us to make an album. Why would we make yeah. an album? And, you know, you think about Kansas. Here's, And I've talked about this. This is a common thing I talk about. Kansas is a good example. Kansas continues to put out good albums. Yeah, they do. Trick continues to put out good albums. Blue Oyster Cult, their last album was really good. And yet there's no, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't even know. I've talked about the Frontier Records out of Spain. I think it's in Spain. Mm, Sure. That they put out a good product. There's several Revolution Saints. There's several bands that I really dig, but they put out an album. It's it's like mass produced. You know, let's let's create this band. We'll record the album. We don't even have to be in the same place. We'll record this right. album. We'll push it out, and it's not bad. But then nothing happens, right? So yeah. there's no. You talked about the machine. The machine's not there anymore to push it out, which means it's limited in its exposure. How many people are ever going to hear this? And I guess they think, well, it doesn't matter. We didn't spend much to make it. You know, we don't have to make that much to. So it's different. It's a different world than it was in 1984, for sure. Yeah. So, but we got to live through a great time. And part of what you're saying, you know, were people that helped me when you were talking about me doing. I do want to mention these. First, I got guys just like me that were homegrown that, mm-hmm. that, that had never done it. That Ryan Sparks was one of my writers for years. Ryan and I are still friends. Lee Graham 
down south. The Lee Graham, Ryan Sparks, and me made classic rock revisit what it was. I mean, I, I did it myself, but then when we had that about 10 years where we were really kicking on all cylinders, it was those guys helping every bit. The cool thing with the new world is I've never been in the same room as Ryan Sparks or Lee Graham. <laughs> yeah. The technology lets us do that now. I got, I got people, some, some old school guys emailed me and said, I like your style. You know, they give me tips. One of them you mentioned earlier, and he's a dear friend of mine, Martin Popoff. Mm. You know, Martin was instrumental in the old days of going, Hey, right here on your interview, if you'd taken it this way, or you could have followed up here, Martin and I, and he's got that, you know, Canadian, eh? you know, but he, uh, and he, he's got this stuff and he helped me so much. I got some great tips from Jeff Barton um, wow. from over in classic rock, you know, and I got published a few times over there, you know, Mick Wall, I met, you just get these little tips, you know, and I, I took them. I think it was Jeff one time was, Barton, he's like a legend if you're a music journalist. You know? yeah. I think it was him. I'm pretty sure it was him. And we were talking one time, and I had Leslie West coming up. I was going to interview Leslie West. And we were emailing back and forth. This probably 99 or 2000, way back in the beginning. And he said, just for fun at the end of the interview, just ask, do me a favor and ask ask Leslie something just on the way out. Do your thank yous. You're ready to go. Catch him off guard with one. And I'd be I'm like, okay. I said, what? And he goes, ask him if he started Ozzy on Coke. <laughs> It's like did. <laughs> and Leslie West just laughed. That big gruff laugh. Then he paused and he goes, eh, you know, probably. <laughs> but I started taking that from him and that advice. And a lot of my interviews, if you notice, my last question is life article. And that is something I took. And with Martin, I learned a lot from him with how to not control the interview, but to look at their answers and maybe not go off your playbook, to look yeah. at where they're going and go with them, you know, but still have an agenda in your head to go, I still got to get A, B, and C. I'm going to have to come back and get him. Martin's a genius at that. Yeah, and he is everywhere. I see him. Oh, yeah, I know. I haven't talked to him for a couple years. I need to get a hold of him. I haven't invited him to come on the podcast. I would love to, and he probably would say yes. I mean, I see him on lots of different podcasts. Mm -hmm. and, got and to, the, man. Reach out. I, I love I love the guy. Yeah, he's, he's great. He's got great stories, man. I mean, he's so, – And I got several of his books. I love his books. So before we get to your book, I, I, I do okay. have to ask this question. Since you kind of shut down the website, <laughs> how are you still – in the classic rock scene. Are you, are you still doing it? I mean, you're, you, you talk to people occasionally, right? Which is awesome. But are you still keeping your foot in? Do you still have things working in the classic rock, rock world? Nah. No. Okay. I listen to a lot more Steely Dan than I used to. <laughs> ELO. I've kind of mellowed out, man. A lot of Genesis after the prog, you know, the, that's the not Genesis. A lot of the music I didn't get to listen to because it was all more harder rock stuff. And now I got more time and I'm kind of finding myself listening to, and I mean, I say that jokingly, but mm -hmm. Steely Dan's an excellent man. man. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, I, here's my proudest thing in five years, minus the couple COVID years, you got to throw them out. Mm -hmm. um, and there's may, I don't want this to sound bragging because it actually comes from a very humble place. I still have not paid for a concert ticket. Wow. That is my biggest compliment to my career. I mean, you know, that's when I think you think I never got to the Rolling Stone. I sorry, I never, never got to interview my heroes, you know, like, like Paige or, you know, I'm a big Floyd guy. I never got to, to meet Roger Waters, you know, uh, you shouldn't say he's a hero, I guess, because everybody hates him, but I mean, come on, <laughs> you know, I love, I'd be like, Roger, I don't hate you. I might hate you, but I don't hate you, man. You right. know, it's like, <laughs> Total respect for what he does. And also that guitar player. What's his name? Yeah, yeah, guitar that guy. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I, didn't, I didn't hit some of those goals. But when I can do that, you know, and I can just go like, I still haven't, not haven't actively been going like I used to either. But if I see someone coming to town through my old publicity friends or the artists themselves or whoever, I can say, hey. That's awesome. You go make me buy a ticket. You know, they're like, nah, we'll get you on the list. That's a compliment. Every day I have my coffee in this room, and you can just see a little piece of it. I see it. All four walls are the same, and they're just covered. And uh, I didn't buy any of this stuff, you know? And I didn't fanboy it back with 20 albums and stuff. I mean, it just kind of happened. That's and a lot, of, a lot of thank yous, you know? Oh, I'll show you one of my favorites. I didn't I didn't ask for this. I did, an, I did this interview, and then I got an email from – 
his then wife going, he really enjoyed this and we want to send you an autographed picture. And it was, I don't know if you could see it. Oh, wow. Uh, and, uh, I don't know if you could see that. Yeah, yeah he has all the inscription oh, yeah. down there, you know, and stuff. And it's stuff like that. Yeah. You know, that you just go, this is so cool. You know, how did how did some schlub from a small town in Kansas get so lucky to 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 do this stuff? That's but that's it's, uh, I'm glad I don't have any regrets. Would I have liked to stay? Yeah, but I mean, I'll give you the five minute readers digest. What happened was first off, I got burned out. I worked two careers for 20 years. Mm-hmm. My kids grew up, I mean, they grew up and they laughed. I mean, you know. We clear through each other. My wife never went. My kids have been to some of the coolest concerts. <laughs> and uh, my dad died in 2000. And well, my grandpa died in 2016. My dad died in 2017. Mm. And my two best friends died in, mm. within a year after that. And then my daughter had a baby and I had my first grandchild. And just all of that kind of happening. And let's face it, and I don't mean you said something that you didn't mean rude, and I didn't take a rude. I don't think you'll take this rude either, but <laughs> I didn't want Classic Rock Visited to become a, a, an obituary site, man. Yeah. You know, yeah. my my traffic was still good. My ads were still – my ad actually had my best ad year that year that I left in 2018 or 19, whatever it was. And I just got to the point, and I said, I'm done. Mm. I love it. I, I still listen to music all day long. I love it, but it's time. You know, it's yeah. time. And I always wanted to write this novel. And now one of the characters in the novel is the Yes album, 90125. Yes. So yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm putting the picture up so folks can see it. That's this, it. Yeah, this is Jeb's book. It's called Blast from the Past. And I'll be honest, I haven't read the book. I've read a lot of reviews. I kind of have an idea what it's about. Very good reviews. It looks like a good read. I'm going I'm to read it. In fact, on my Twitter, there's a link. You can buy it. Right. And as oh, soon sweet. as it's over, yeah, I'll put a link up on all, on all the platforms, but tell us a little bit about why you wanted to write the book and then no spoilers, but just tell us a bit about the book as well, Jeff. Well, I, uh, I, like I said, I've always been a writer. Uh, I've always loved writing. I, I like creative writing even growing up, but I never really visioned this happening. Mm-hmm. So I had an, a real life. This is a fictional book, but I think it was Mark Twain that said all fiction is based on fact, you know, <laughs> right, right. and I had an experience back when yes, toured on that 90125. That's an album that gets a little bit harsh treatment, kind of like Asia's album. Gets a little, but if you were living back then, everybody owned it, man. The owner of the Lonely Heart was all over. I still think it's a great album. I love, I love that album. But I went to see them in Oklahoma City with a cast of characters that are similar to some characters in the book. They're not the same person. I kind of mixed everybody together. It's the old writer trick, you know, take parts of people and make a person up. But I did kind of put a a few of the things that did happen. And I I had this experience. It was about a 24-hour experience. We went from our little town in Kansas, drove down to Oklahoma City, did things that I would never tell my kids I was doing in the car. we just had, it was a, it was just a wild weekend, man. I ended up backstage lost by accident and uh, it sat in Yes's limo and <laughs> I wasn't invited to, I just did it. And, uh, and uh, you know, ended up right next to Chris Squire off stage. And we ended up getting escorted back out of there, but mm-hmm. uh, it was a fun night. And then on the way back, we got lost in the country. So it, it sounds like stuff you can't make up. We, we, instead of going North, we went East. We ended up outside of Tulsa in a truck stop at two in the morning. None of us had any money. We were going to dine and dash and, and lo and behold, as we're getting the guts up to do it, two cops come in and sit at the table next to us. Yeah. You know? And it's just, it's just a, a zany coming of age tale, you know, but it wasn't enough for a book. You know, I'm like, this isn't enough for a book. So I, I decided I'd, I'd write a, that side and that side. I'm going to make this into a story. And I, I, I leaned a little heavily on the rock and roll upbringing. You know, there's guys mentioned in my book that aren't, you got to be a rocker to really know Billy Thorpe's got a little, you know, he's, he's in the background at one point, and, but it, it's just a friendship tale, man. But it's uh, it's, it, you, you relate to this. It was about a guy, you know, I relate to it. The, the non-spoiler version is uh, there's a guy, he's growing up and you're going to like this. You know what my character's name is? It's Miles Goodwin. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Except he's got, he doesn't have Y's. It's M I L E S. But that that's a, it, little things. If you're a rocker like that, you're going to see throughout this whole thing. You're going to go, ah, uh-huh. 
but but Miles is a 57 year old guy that's living in a small town in Kansas and and can't quite let go of the past. He can't never really felt comfortable in his own shoes and laments a lot of the decisions. And in this book, there is a tragedy that happened to one of his friends. And this really isn't a spoiler because you get to it on page three. He he gets a visit from his friend who's who's dead. Mm. We get we get, a, we get a drunk ghost coming to to basically uh, take him back and do it again and watch again and learn from an adult perspective and bounce back and forth through time. And uh, the fun part was I told you I had one of my best friends die. So I kind of, I kind of patterned this guy after my friend and it was so cool to write conversations as a creative person, you know, that we never had. And especially the adult us, some of the young stuff that's in there. I did lean a little bit on my own past and some things. It was fun. That was fun. But when we would come back with an adult perspective and be talking, and these are conversations I never got to have with him. And so to be able to do that, if you're creative at all, when you do stuff like that, you really leave where you're at. You go to you know that creative space out there, and it was really cathartic. It really kind of helped me deal with with his death and what happened. Now that said, it's very humorous. It is not all serious like that. There's a lot of, it's the 80s. It's sex, drugs, rock and roll. Uh, it happens in a small town, which is kind of fun because people think this stuff only happens, you know, in LA and New York. <laughs> exactly. It, it, it happened, you know, over at Cottonwood Park at two in the morning quite a bit, you know. <laughs> it's it's uh, very well reviewed. The reviews well, are very you, good. Man. Yeah, and I, I will definitely. I think the blurb, and anyone wants to get it, don't go to the bookstore. Go to Amazon, The Beast. You know, that's where, that is my store. And you can search Blast from the Past, Jeb Wright, and it will bring it up. You can search just Jeb Wright, it'll bring it up. And uh, it is all self-funded and self-done by me, so. Uh, if you're if you're on the Amazon that that the group you know where if you pay so much you can read free, uh, it's available for a free download if you're in that group. Or else my downloads. I'm not you know I'm trying to get a name so I'm not charging a ton of money. But I think if you've got a Kindle, it's three ninety nine or something. Yeah, like that. I'm not, <laughs> yeah, I'm not charging through the roof here. You know, I just want people to read it. And that's the coolest thing, Jeremy, is that right now I can say that even though I haven't quit my day job. And, and to be honest, I put as much ad money as I have sales, you know, uh, but somewhere right now, somewhere, somebody reads my book every day. That's, that's so cool, that's, man. That's that might crazy. be cooler than the website. That might be. Uh, and you, you mentioned uh, Billy, Billy Thorpe, right? Billy oh, Thorpe, yeah. children of the sun. You got it. So yep. I live in Spokane, Washington. Well, Spokane is an Indian word for children of the sun. So, oh, you're so that song, Billy Thorpe, when I worked at the oldies station, we'd always say that, hey, here's a song about Spokane. <laughs> it's children. That's cool. But <laughs> it no, like, it's uh, this is my project. I've got another book, three quarters written. We're going to follow up this year. And then I've got another one written that just needs added. I love to write. As you can tell how fast I pumped out all the stuff, I do it with this. I don't know what writer's block is. It's never happened to me. I get writers tired. Yeah, I might, I might drop it for three weeks and say, I'm not doing this. But when I start, I go very fast. And I've had, again, help a lot of help there, too. I've had a lot of mentors. Chad Sanborn's a crime novelist. He's helped me out a lot. He's a buddy of mine. And and I've had some other teachers, you know, that I listen to. This is the difference between this and the Internet is when you write a book, you don't write a book once. You write a book about 50 times. I mean, you just have to keep improving it. And it, but it is the, it is my new thing. I think you can tell I have a little passion about it right now. That's exciting. It is. I, I hope, I don't know if I'll ever get to do this full time, but even if I do it part time, even if I just have the success I had with Classic Rock Visit, I would die happy, man. And once again, if you're a rocker, you're going to like this book. I mean, yeah. there's just no way you're not, you know, whether you had the mullet and the earrings or you were the nerd, or you were the jock, you're going to relate to the characters in this if you grew up in the 80s. If you didn't, it's not just a time tale. It's a human interaction, as you can tell by the friendship that I'm talking about and things like that. It's a very personal book to me, even though it's fake. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of my heart and soul in it. And I think the, the next one's going to be, it is, it's been just as fun to write. So I'm really looking forward to trying this. I will tell you this, though. You think breaking into the podcast or music world or the now website worlds are pretty much gone, but I think that's hard. Write a book. <laughs> yeah. like, Mother, man. One of my freelance jobs is I narrate audiobooks. So I've, oh, I've wow. got, about, yeah, I've got probably a hundred. 
audiobooks that are on Audible. So if I ever wanted to do something like that, you could you could teach. Oh, me. Hey, yeah, yeah. Let me. Yeah, absolutely. You you should do your own. But if you ever need anyone to do your audio, I don't have to do it. It's it's easy. Is it really? No, it, it, there's not much to it at all. So, but anyways, we can have a conversation. And in fact, Jeb, I would love to have you back sometime and nerd out on a oh. specific band or, you know, a, a Jew. I'm thinking a Judas Priest episode sometime or whatever. I would love to have you come back. This has been awesome. Be and, and I really mean it that uh, I just about every day for probably at least 15 years, that's I, so was on, I was on the website. And, and, and had I, I been good, it's good, but it's just, you're like, what? Yeah, had, <laughs> I known, had I known that you had people that were just writing for free, I would have sent you an email and said, hey, Jeb, let me review some albums. Let me do some of it. Should have. A little of that. I should have done that. But. You should have done it. If you're good, you're going to keep doing it. That's all there is to it. But take the first step, man. Just yeah. do it. Yeah. You know? I didn't fulfill all my dreams, but I fulfilled a bunch of them. Yeah, you know, it's pretty, so, it's still pretty cool. Very cool. Brag uh, about it. that's why you know, just just you know, I mean, I am proud of it. I really, yeah. am. I mean, I'm humbled by it in some ways. And I still go out there. I still go out to the website. It's all. Still I there. haven't. I haven't done it for a while, but it just came up to where it was time to pay the the fees. You know, to keep it up there. Yeah. For the first time ever, I thought I wasn't going to do it. And it's cheap. It isn't the money, but I thought maybe it's time to to go. And I thought, nah. so I yeah. just paid, I paid two years this time instead of one. So I don't have to so, worry. Yeah. So I have just before, since we talked, I've gone out and looked just to see if it's still there. I can still see a lot of the same interviews that I've read over the years. And and so, no, it was great. Jeb, I appreciate you coming on and, and, and I'll be in touch because I'd love to have you on again sometime. For sure. I did. I think it'd be fun, man. If yeah. you can get more, get more, we'll, we'll go to town. Absolutely. With yes. the box, man. Yeah, for sure. That'd be great. Hey, I don't know if I'll ever be in Kansas, but if I'm ever there, I'll look you up, right? Do it. <laughs> I'll buy you a beer, man. <laughs> awesome. Jeb, thanks so much. Appreciate you coming on. And, hey, and we'll it was time. a long and stressful bitch of a day, and you really, this is what I needed, man. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Jeb. Appreciate it. We'll see you. Do remind him though. I am. I I sold myself at that website. And I do it now because I see I got it sitting here too. Go to Amazon. Check it out. I say in my Amazon thing, and I'll end with this. In my Amazon little blurb, you know, I think I say something like it's. Uh, I say it's part Dickens, part Spicoli, and part <laughs> Fear Loathing in Las Vegas, man. <laughs> That's perfect. Perfect description. So, all right, Jeb. Thanks so much. We'll be in touch. Take care. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. A big thanks to Jeb Wright for joining us here on the podcast and a big thanks to you. Thank you so much for listening. If you're on Twitter, go out and follow us. And then if you'd like to, you can subscribe for a dollar a month for just $1 a month. That helps so much. Hey, we'll see you next time right here on the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Oh, sweetie. Please like, subscribe, and share. You can email us at classicguitarrock at mail.com. We're not ordinary people. <laughs> We're morons. We'll see you for the next episode of the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Keep your head on the ground and keep reaching for your feet. Wait, that's that's not right. Keep your feet on the ground and keep starting. No, keep your stuff. What the heck? Just thanks for listening.